Our text this morning, giving you an opportunity to find it, is the book of Job, chapter 1, and the first verse. The book of Job, chapter 1, and the first verse. If you find the book of Psalms, then take a left, and you will see the book of Job. Marianne, JP, and I are thankful for another opportunity to come and to worship with this amazing church and for my opportunity to preach while your pastor is serving the Lord on the mission field with several others from this great church. And we're excited that God has answered our prayers on their behalf. Can't wait to hear some of the stories of what God has done, and of course, there's so much more that we won't know this side of heaven. Thankful for those who were faithful to go as God has given opportunity. Some of you don't know who I am, and that's exciting because that means that you've joined this great church since I served here prior to Caleb coming. I was primarily in the old sanctuary, and when COVID occurred, only 10 of us could occupy that sanctuary while we broadcast on Facebook Live. And I then concluded my time getting to preach in this new sanctuary. Knowing what has happened here, there's no way that currently fellowship could go back to the old sanctuary and fit comfortably. So that's just, again, a, a testament to what God is doing here and doing through the leadership here. And we're just thankful to God for Chris and for Sam as well as for Caleb. We, our family, know Caleb's parents. We know that he's not an orphan. And at the same time, we claim Caleb as our son without having to pay for his expenses. We <laughs> claim him as our son. We, we love Caleb. So for those who might be visiting for the first time, would you come back again next Sunday and hear Caleb? But actually hear the Lord as he speaks through this man of God. Thankful that you're here. And just a quick explanation before I, I dive in. The book of Job is my favorite book of the Bible. And if you're thinking, that guy's weird, you're right. Uh, I, I, I am weird. Of the 66 books of the Bible, the book of Job, you got to be kidding. I have spent a lot of my life in this book, actually since 1992. So that's 31 years of my 58 years has been spent in this book. Teaching it, preaching it studying it, doing my doctoral work on it, and then took me two decades to write a book on the book of Job for the church. So this is, as I said, my favorite book. Y'all, your book might be Philippians. That's a little bit more uplifting, right, than the book of Job. But I'm there too. I love Philippians as well. I typically, those who know me, who have heard me preach, I typically take a passage like your pastor does week after week and dissect it. Today, however, I'm going to walk as quickly, promise that, quickly through the book of Job. I know it's 42 chapters. I'm having you look at chapter 1, verse 1. 
what I will do is read some other passages. Won't give you the time to find it. But what I'll do is I'll repeat the reference in case you want to go back and look at it. Okay? For those who, who like to find every passage, you will be frustrated by me today. So what I promise to do is I will, I will repeat the references that I read so that if you jot them down, you can consult them later. And I thank you for your cooperation. Navigating the seas is hard. A few can testify firsthand. I have one experience. Sailing in Galveston Bay when I was a senior in college. Navigating life is much harder. All of us, young as well as old, can testify. In 1875, English poet William Ernest Henley penned the following famous or, you might think once you hear, infamous words. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced or cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbound. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms the horror of the shade, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Y'all, Job would have vehemently disagreed. He had been living well, according to the narrator. And the narrator tells us, chapter 1, the latter half of verse 1, that Job was blameless. That doesn't mean perfect, even though if you have a King James Version, it, it might read perfect. That does not mean sinless. Blameless refers to his reputation, those that knew him. He's upright. That refers to his character. And then listen to these participles. I love these participles. That's bad news for those who had a horrible experience in English grammar, right? Oh, no, participle. What's a participle? It's continuous action. So he's not occasionally, but he is continually fearing God and turning away from evil. That very assessment of the narrator will be repeated verbatim by God about Job in chapter 1, verse 8, and chapter 2, and verse 3. How about that? For God to say these very words about anyone. God spoke those words that I just read about Job himself. Nevertheless, in one afternoon... 
his life fell apart. That's recorded in chapter 1, verses 13 through 19. Chapter 1, verse 13 through 19. Don't ask if it can get worse. For Job, life did. Chapter 2, verses 7 through 10. Y'all, life's not fair. Job complained. Listen to chapter 30 from the book of Job. Listen to chapter 30 and verse 26. Job spoke, When I expected good, then evil came. When I waited for light, then darkness came. That's a poetic way of expressing disappointment. Life's not fair. This morning, I'm not here to defend life, but to recommend a different mindset and in conclusion, to present two ways from the book of Job to handle life's hardships. First, a different mindset. For his book titled, Disappointment with God. One of my favorite authors, Philip Yancey, interviewed a man named Douglas, whom Yancey called a modern Job. Douglas's wife had battled breast cancer valiantly, but it spread to her lungs. Chemotherapy took its own toll. Hair loss, weight loss, fatigue, fear, and depression. Douglas faithfully cared for his wife. One night, while driving in the city with his wife and 12-year-old daughter, a drunk driver crossed the center line and hit them head on. Douglas's wife was shaken but unhurt. Douglas's daughter suffered a broken arm and severe facial cuts from windshield glass. Douglas fared the worst, a massive blow to his head. Consequently, he never knew when a headache might start. He could hardly walk down a flight of stairs without assistance. He became forgetful and disoriented. He could not work a full day. He developed double vision. One eye wandered at will. He could not read more than a page or two at a time, which was absolutely heartbreaking for the book lover. Philip Yancey began the interview by describing his book on disappointment with God before asking, could you tell me about your own disappointment? What have you learned that might help someone else going through a difficult time? Douglas answered, I'm quoting Douglas from the book, to tell you the truth, Philip, 
I don't feel any disappointment with God. This is the reason. I learned first through my wife's illness and then especially through the accident not to confuse God with life. I'm no stoic. I'm as upset about what happened to be as anyone could be. I feel free to curse the unfairness of life and to vent all my grief and anger. But I believe God feels the same way about that accident, grieved and angry. Philip, I don't blame him for what happened. I've learned to see beyond the physical reality in this world to the spiritual reality. We tend to think life should be fair because God is fair, but God is not life. And if I confuse God with the physical reality of life by expecting constant good health, for example, then I set myself up for a crashing disappointment. God's existence, even His love for me, does not depend upon my good health. Frankly, I've had more time and opportunity to work on my relationship with God during my impairment than before. If, Philip, we develop a relationship with God apart from our circumstances of life, then we may be able to hang on when the physical reality breaks down. We may learn to trust God in spite of the unfairness of life. Isn't that really the main point of Job? Douglas concluded. What an amazing mindset. Life's not fair. You've said it. You've thought it. It's true. The mistake that we typically make is to equate life and God. But God is not life. And if you could approach this unfair life from this different mindset, it can make all the difference as you deal with the hardships that don't discriminate, do they? We all go through them. And if you've been through it, guess what? You'll go through it again. God can be with you. And thankfully, he's bigger than life. And there's more to this life than what we all experience. But in that regard, you know as well as I, we're no different than the world. In that regard, hardships come, whatever it is. Uh, back in March, hailstorm came through Clinton. And you know, the hail fell on the Christians' homes as, as it did on the, the unbelievers' homes. That's, that's, how, that's how it is, and that's a simple illustration, you know. Uh, we're, we're not exempt. We're not shielded. And your own life is a testament to the fact that, yeah, even we who love Jesus and whom Jesus loves go through tough times. Can you look at life in this perspective as Douglas did, that God is not life? Finally, I present to you from the book of Job two ways to handle life's hardships. 
first is run to God. Run to God. Even if you don't feel like it, whatever you feel, God can handle your honesty. I grew up, I'm 58, so I grew up at a time when, for whatever reason, whether it was communicated explicitly or implicitly, we Christians should always be on our best behavior, no matter what. Put a smile on your face. Repress whatever it is. Don't you dare ask God a question, certainly not why, and just grin and bear it. That's, that was my experience in church. And then I'm reading all the, the Old Testament saints, and, and man, they're railing against God <laughs> and live to tell the story. And I realized, you know, but it took a while based on my faith tradition, you know, what I'd been taught, that, hey, God can handle my honesty. And, and am I hiding something from him? Because Psalm 139 tells me that he can read my thoughts anyway. <laughs> Whether I express them or not, he already knows what I'm thinking. So rather than repressing or suppressing or worse, thinking, well, I can't share this with God, so I'm just going to have to... To, to kind of distance myself, and then when I've got it all together, then I can come back into his presence. Go to him. God would rather you go to him with your raw emotion than to turn your back on him. He can handle your honesty. You certainly wouldn't be the first to vent. You certainly wouldn't be. The first time that I actually vented, and it, and it, was, it was with trepidation. You know, I vented, but it was like, Driving on I-55 from having preached at First Baptist Church Macomb, and I was driving back to Jackson. It was the year 2007. So, y'all, I mean, it, it took me like, I'm trying to do the math quickly in my head. I was 42 before I finally did it. And I just told God, because we'd gone through a, a, a family crisis, and we prayed and prayed and said, God, this is your opportunity to glorify yourself. God, this is your opportunity to show yourself mighty. And you know what? We prayed the whole summer in that way with faith, and God didn't answer our prayer. What? God, why didn't you? You didn't do it. And with tears in my eyes, I, as, as I'm driving back, y'all, Obviously, I'm here. The earth didn't open and swallow my car. There was no lightning bolt that came and, and incinerated, you know, uh, part, of, part of my body. I, I just, with tears, I, I, just told, I just told God, God, you let me down. Why? God, why? And we just had a heart-to-heart. And he listened. And I told God, I said, I love you anyway. And he led me through it. I, you know, some would have thought, boy, you were being really disrespectful. No, I was being honest with him. I vented. And if you've not vented before, I'm telling you, he can handle it. You certainly wouldn't be the first to vent. The prophet Jeremiah did. No, listen to the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 20. Just listen to chapter 20, one verse, verse 7. O oh Lord, thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. Thou hast overcome me and prevailed. 
I've become a laughingstock all day long. Everyone mocks me. The prophet Habakkuk did. Listen to Habakkuk, chapter 1, verse 2, 3, and 4. Chapter 1, verse 2, 3, and 4. How long, O Lord, will I call for help, and thou wilt not hear? I cry out to thee, violence, yet thou dost not save. Why dost thou make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore, the law is ignored and justice is never upheld for the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. You all, the psalmist vented. Do you remember David's words? Psalm 22, verse 1, my God my God, why have you forsaken me? Listen to Psalm 44, verses 22 to 26. Psalm 44, verses 22 to 26. But for thy sake we are killed all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Arouse thyself. Why dost thou sleep, O Lord? Awake, do not reject us forever. Why dost thou hide thy face and forget our affliction and our oppression? For our soul has sunk down into the dust. Our body cleaves to the earth. Rise up, be our help, and redeem us for the sake of thy loving kindness. Job vented. Listen to Job chapter 10, verses 1 through 9. Job chapter 10, verses 1 through 9. I loathe my own life. I will give full vent to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, do not condemn me. Let me know why thou dost contend with me. Is it right for thee indeed to, impress, to oppress, to reject the labor of thy hands, and to look favorably on the schemes of the wicked? Hast thou eyes of flesh, or dost thou see as a man sees? Are thy days as the days of a mortal? Or thy years as man's years, that thou shouldest seek for my guilt and search after my sin. According to thy knowledge, I am indeed not guilty, yet there is no deliverance from thy hand. Thy hands fashioned and made me altogether, and wouldest thou destroy me? Remember now that thou hast made me as clay, and wouldest thou turn me into dust again. Run to God. When we run from God, whatever the problem is, becomes worse. Second, leave it blank. Leave it blank. We, the readers of the book of Job, know why Job suffered. It's all there in chapter 1 and chapter 2. Y'all, Job never knew. His friends never knew. Nevertheless, isn't this human? They all presumed to know. Job blamed God. Listen to chapter 16 from the book of Job, verses 12 through 14. Chapter 16, verses 12 through 14. I was at ease, but God shattered me, and he has grasped me by the neck and shaken me to pieces. He has also set me up as his target. 
his arrows surround me. Without mercy, he splits my kidneys open. He pours out my gall on the ground. He breaks through me with breach after breach. He runs at me like a warrior. Listen to chapter 19, verses 8 through 12. Chapter 19, verses 8 through 12. God has walled up my way so that I cannot pass, and he has put darkness on my paths. He has stripped my honor from me and removed the crown from my head. He breaks me down on every side, and I'm gone. And he has uprooted my hope like a tree. He has also kindled his anger against me and considered me as his enemy. His troops come together and build up their way against me and camp around my tent. Uh, Job, what do you really feel about God, right? Job blamed God. Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, they blamed Job for why Job suffered. Listen to Job chapter 22, verses 4 and 5. This is Eliphaz. Is it because of your reverence that God reproves you, that he enters into judgment against you? Is not your wickedness great and your iniquities without end? It's a great friend. Listen to, listen to Bildad, Bildad, chapter 8, verse 3. Does God pervert justice, or does the Almighty pervert what is right? Verse 20 of chapter 8. Lo, God will not reject a man of integrity, nor will he support the evildoers. Job, get the hint, you're evil. And then finally, listen to Zophar. He's my favorite. I say that sarcastically. You really don't want a friend like Zophar. Chapter 11, verses 2 through 6. 11, 2 through 6. So a multitude of words go unanswered, and a talkative man be acquitted. Shall your boast silence men, and should you scoff and none rebuke? For you have said, my teaching is pure, and I'm innocent in your eyes, but would that God might speak and open his lips against you and show you the secrets of wisdom. For sound wisdom has two sides, and know then that God forgets a part of your iniquity. In other words, Job, you should have it worse, but God held back. If only Job and his friends had left the why question blank. The book of Job would have been considerably shorter than 42 chapters. Less emotional energy would have been spent, and fewer feelings would have been hurt. It was, it was during the fall of 2013 that life blindsided my family. Our daughter, Anne-Marie, manifested manic depression. She was 20 years old, a college junior, and a math major. We all in the family endured a lot of lows. Each of us processed them differently. I recalled being awakened in the night by gnawing questions. Today's Father's Day, by the way. Happy Father's Day. And, and for a dad who wants to fix things, dad, you know what that's like. You probably are better than I. You can actually fix things. I've got to call somebody. For, for a dad, seeing a daughter helpless, struggling, and I'm, I, I, 
I was at wit's end. I just didn't know what to do. And I, I, I prayed, God, could we switch places? That would be fine with me. Would you let me have this? And that was not God's plan. Nine questions in the middle of the night. Can Anne-Marie finish the semester? Will her medications, despite the side effects, work? What future does she have? Graduation? Marriage? Career? Kids? Will we ever see the old Anne-Marie again? Now, most in the church know the rest of the story, and, and, and I can't leave you hanging, okay? She not only finished the semester and earned straight A's despite taking upper-level math courses, thanks to prayer, her hard work, and lots of professors that we regard highly as colleagues. Uh, she graduated. She married the love of her life. She teaches middle school math in Nashville, Tennessee, and we have a grand dog, Okay, we don't have any grandkids, but we do have a grand dog. So God is good. But in that, in that moment and in those, the, those days, not knowing what's next, and, and, and it was hard enough, and you didn't know what was around the corner, and was there another shoe that was about to fall? Y'all, it was at that point that I resolved not to, this was not easy for me, not to extrapolate or to speculate, leaving all those questions blank, realizing that I am as unqualified to handle what-ifs as I am as unqualified to handle a routine what. I can't handle the what's of life. With men, it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. I can't handle a what. How in the world can I handle a what-if? And so I resolved in the night, opting to pray believing. But the only prayer that I could muster, here I am, I'm a preacher, man, I know how to talk, you can tell. I've got degrees in biblical studies, and the only prayer that I could muster in the night was God help us. God help us. Over and over, I just said it, God help us. God, help us. God, help us. Although not eloquent, you know as well as I, that's an effective prayer. You know why? Because the Father hears it, and it moves his heart, and the Father responds always. And what happened is, y'all, I received the insurmountable peace that passes all understanding, and that peace lulled me somehow back to sleep. So I say to you, in this life, yes, you'll face it. It's not a question of if, but when. Hardship. Some of you are in the midst of it right now. I'm glad to tell you, the Lord knows and the Lord cares. He's not forgotten. He's working on your behalf, and you have no idea how God's going to use that, not only for your sanctification, but for his glory and to benefit others. But in the meantime, don't confuse God in life. Run to him. And even though the questions, they're percolating and you've asked them, if possible, 
leave them blank. And you'll more than just survive. You'll thrive.